0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to episode six of Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. Before we jump into the episode this week, there are a few announcements that I want to cover. It looks like the majority of the United States has finally passed the peak in the Omicron surge. This is not time to jump for joy or throw your masks in the trash just yet. Hospitals are still full, and our healthcare workers are still suffering the brunt of this pandemic. Please continue to wear your masks, socially distance, and be courteous to those around you. We are almost to the point where doctors and epidemiologists are predicting that we may be shifting into an endemic, While this isn't great news, it proves that a sense of normalcy could potentially return. Mark your calendar. One night only on Tuesday, January 25th, join the aspiring emergency managers online as they host a live Q&A session with County of Los Angeles Deputy Director Leslie Luke. Leslie Luke is the Deputy Director of the County of Los Angeles Office of Emergency Management and International Association of Emergency Managers USA Diversity Committee Chair. This event will be hosted by Francis Eweyland and Isamar Garcia. If you are interested in attending, register on Eventbrite. The link will be shared in the show notes below. For those of you who may be new to the podcast, welcome. Whether you join to learn better preparedness tips or simply because you like learning about past disasters, this podcast has what you want. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Destination Period Disaster and on Twitter at Dest Disaster. That is D E S T d-i-s-a-s-t-e-r. Please share this podcast with your friends, family, and community to help spread the word and build more resilient communities. For those of you who are able and interested, please consider joining the Patreon group, as I have just redone the monthly benefits to include a monthly live Q&A session where we can discuss future plans for the podcast and ways to engage the community. You will also help to vote on new episodes for the upcoming weeks. And as you all know, Last week, the eruption of the undersea Tonga volcano was one of the largest ever recorded. The eruption led to a fast-moving tsunami that swept among many of the coastal communities on the island of Tonga. The only fiber optic cable connecting Tonga to both internet and phone was severed during the eruption. Damage is still widely unknown, so please, if you can donate, I've posted a link in the show notes below. Let's go ahead and jump into the topic for the week. This week, we're going to review critical infrastructure and the risks associated if one of these critical infrastructure sectors were to fail, either by human-caused events or natural disasters. Many of us don't realize just how reliant we are on the critical systems here in the United States. At any one minute, you are using hundreds of interconnected pieces of infrastructure that make our modern lives easy and far more accessible. So to begin, many of you may be wondering what exactly is critical infrastructure? Well, according to CISA, or the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, critical infrastructure describes the physical and cyber systems and assets that are so vital to the United States that their incapacity or destruction would have a debilitating impact on our physical or economic security or public health or safety. The nation's critical infrastructure provides the essential services that underpin American society. We use these systems every single day. If you're streaming this episode right now, you're utilizing multiple forms of critical infrastructure. Each portion of this critical infrastructure relies on one another to operate effectively. If one critical system were to fail, it's likely we could experience a cascading event that would lead to the failure of several other critical systems. Before the 9-11 attacks, attempts at bolstering the protection for the critical infrastructure here in the United States were recommended. Presidential Decision Directive 63 called for a national effort to assure the security of the United States' increasingly vulnerable and interconnected infrastructure. Presidential Decision Directive 63 is a culmination of an intense interagency effort to evaluate those recommendations and produce a workable and innovative framework for critical infrastructure protection. The President's policy sets a goal of a reliable, interconnected, and secure information system infrastructure by the year 2003 and significantly increased the security to government systems by the year 2000 by immediately establishing a national center to warn of and respond to attacks, ensuring the capability to protect critical infrastructures from intentional attacks by 2003. The September 11th attacks were a significant wake-up call for those who were responsible for the optimal operation of these sectors. Before the attacks, the United States was extremely vulnerable to both internal and external forces. Following these attacks, several sweeping reforms occurred to bolster the defenses and readiness of the critical infrastructure here in the United States. On December 17, 2003, Homeland Security Presidential Directive 7 established a national policy for federal departments and agencies to identify and prioritize critical infrastructure and to protect them from terrorist attacks. The directive defines relevant terms and delivers 31 policy statements. These policy statements define what the directive covers and the roles various federal, state, and local agencies will play in carrying it out. I'm going to read a little excerpt from the directive. Critical infrastructure and key resources provide the essential services that underpin American society. The nation possesses numerous key resources whose exploitation or destruction by terrorists could cause catastrophic health effects or mass casualties comparable to those from the use of a weapon of mass destruction or could profoundly affect our national prestige and morale. In addition, there is critical infrastructure so vital that its incapacitation, exploitation, or destruction through terrorist attack could have a debilitating effect on security and economic well-being. Prior to 2013 and the introduction of the National Infrastructure Protection Plan, there were only 11 critical infrastructure sectors identified, each of which was assigned to a responsible agency. Those critical sectors were agriculture and food, water, public health, emergency services, government, defense industrial base, information and telecommunications, energy, transportation and shipping, banking and finance, the chemical industry and hazardous materials, the post, national monuments and icons, and critical manufacturing. Following the implementation of the National Infrastructure Protection Plan in February of 2013, a revision under the Presidential Policy Directive 21 established 16 critical infrastructure sectors, those being chemical, commercial facilities, communications, critical manufacturing, dams, the defense industrial base, emergency services, energy, financial services, food and agriculture, government facilities, healthcare and public health, information technology nuclear reactors, materials and waste, transportation systems and water and wastewater systems. As witnessed with the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, cascading effects can stem from a singular point of origin. Almost immediately following the aircraft striking the World Trade Centers, all mass transit systems were halted, roadways, tunnels, and bridges into New York City were closed, all air traffic was grounded, and power outages and communication failures erupted collapse of the World Trade Center buildings led to flooding in one of the largest telecommunications nodes in the world. Millions of voice and data lines were disconnected, leaving thousands of businesses, including the New York Stock Exchange, and residential customers without service for days. In addition to physical threats such as terrorism, natural disasters can also significantly damage critical sectors as well. Events such as tornadoes, hurricanes, freezing rain, and high winds can all damage certain aspects of critical infrastructure and lead to the cascading events that I discussed earlier. The 21st century has introduced new, unique events such as hacking attacks that can effectively cripple entire critical sectors such as power and water. The scary thing is that these forms of attacks are relatively easy to create and employ against systems. According to Security InfoWatch, cyber threats are evolving each day. Quantum computers and computing is becoming a reality, promising new achievements in computer science, data analysis, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. It also promises to create a new front of vulnerabilities in the very infrastructure it promises to better, principally by making existing encryption strategies and mechanisms much more vulnerable to penetration. Without encryption, there will be no privacy, Without privacy, there will be no security. Therein lays the future threat. The threat of these forms of infiltration don't just lie in the information technology sector. Every single one of the critical infrastructure sectors all use technology today, leaving them vulnerable to an attack that comes without warning and one that can cripple entire systems. In order to show you just how sophisticated these attacks are becoming, I've decided to share with you some examples of historic attacks and how they have evolved throughout the past few decades. In 2003, in one of the earliest recorded cyber attacks, Chinese hackers exfiltrated national security information from Naval Air Weapons Station China Lake, including nuclear weapons test and design data and stealth aircraft data. In April 2005, Chinese hackers infiltrated NASA networks managed by Lockheed Martin and Boeing and exfiltrated information about the Space Shuttle Discovery Program. In October 2010, Australia's Defense Signals Directorate reported a huge increase in cyber attacks on the military. Australia's Defense Minister John Faulkner revealed that there had been 2,400 electronic security incidents on defense networks in 2009 and 5,551 incidents between January and August 2010. In October 2011, networks of 48 companies in the chemical, defense, and other industries were penetrated for at least six months by a hacker looking for intellectual property. Some of these attacks are attributed to computers in Hebei, China. In December 2021, cybersecurity firms found government-linked hackers from China, Iran, and North Korea attempting to use the Log4j vulnerability to gain access to computer networks. Following the announcement of Log4j, Researchers already found over 600,000 attempts to exploit the vulnerability. As you can see, in each one of these attacks, the attacker's sophistication and skill increased dramatically. This is why we must continue to upgrade and bolster the defense in all sectors. We'll be right back after a quick break. Mark your calendar, one night only, on Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Join the aspiring emergency managers online as they host a live Q&A session with County of Los Angeles Deputy Director Leslie Luke. Leslie Luke is the Deputy Director of the County of Los Angeles Office of Emergency Management and International Association of Emergency Managers USA Diversity Committee Chair. This event will be hosted by Francis E. Whalen and Isamar Garcia. If you are interested in attending, register on Eventbrite. The link will be shared in the show notes below to round off the episode this week let's take a look at what a cyber attack could resemble here in the united states there is no actual emergency occurring and this is only a theoretical scenario on one warm summer night in the not too distant future it personnel at the pentagon are working on upgrading their encryption and cybersecurity infrastructure however at that exact moment the team launches the update a massive cyber attack from an unknown actor is launched and begins infiltrating the defense network. However, the perpetrators behind this attack aren't after military files, but instead are targeting the critical infrastructure of the country. Within seconds, hackers have infiltrated the US Department of Energy's internal site that houses critical information regarding every power generating station in the United States. Codes are uploaded and launched against several different portions of the energy grid, leading to an overload scenario, forcing those electrical systems to fail. The resulting blackout affects the entire east coast of the United States. The resulting blackout leads to hundreds of cascading events such as communications outages, car accidents, and hospitals being affected. Unfortunately, the attack does not stop here. The attackers continue to install malware that isn't easily destroyed, forcing U.S. cyber officials to become more creative and counter the cyber attack. An hour later, another cyber attack is launched on the west coast of our facilities forcing more systems to overload and lead to failures. Nearly 80% of the United States is now in the dark and unable to communicate with one another. This attack cripples much of the power infrastructure that the United States relies on. One week later, power has still not been restored to the affected areas. Hospitals that were lucky enough to have generators in the beginning are now failing due to inadequate resources and not having enough fuel to operate the generators for long periods. While the attack has ended, the damage has certainly been done. Power stations where overloads occurred are forced to reinstall new circuits in order to restore power. The only issue is that many of these available circuits have to be transported by truck and cannot be simply purchased at a local Best Buy. The power outage is now beginning to affect the available food situation in many major cities. Looting is now being reported as the last of the fresh fruits and vegetables are beginning to rot. Police departments are unable to respond to these reports as they have to conserve what fuel is left to respond to life-threatening emergencies. With no end in sight, Americans must band together to foster more resilient communities in the middle of this emergency. What is truly unknown here is the effect that a cyber attack could cause here in the United States. The thousands of interconnected systems failing simultaneously would have immediate effects that would be felt nationwide. This entire scenario is possible and is something that needs to be prepared for because as technology continues to advance, so do the capabilities of hostile actors from traffic lights and communication systems failing in metropolitan centers to air traffic control radars failing across the nation. It is quite literally impossible to imagine just to what extent a hostile attack could resemble. Now in terms of damage, I would easily estimate this to be in the tens to hundreds of billions if enough critical systems needed replacing or repairs to make them operational again. The simple fact is that without adequate preparation and forward-thinking mentalities to these situations, We as a nation could end up in the dark and without essential services for weeks or months. Many of us don't realize just how reliant we are on critical systems, whether that is commuting using mass transit or talking to one of our friends on the other side of the globe. Critical infrastructure dictates our lives. I want to thank you for listening this week. As I spoke about earlier in the episode, those in Tonga recently experienced one of the worst volcanic impacts, one being described as a one-in-every-thousand-year event. If you can, please consider donating. I have placed a link below in the show notes. Please also continue to share this podcast with your friends, colleagues, and family. It is important that we promote preparedness and resiliency at the community level. Doing so helps keep all prepared, leading to decreased recovery times. As always, if you have any questions or comments regarding the content of this podcast, feel free to contact me directly at DestinationDisasterOne at gmail.com, or DM me on Instagram. Until next week on Current Events, this has been Destination Disaster.